window and turning to look at the little girl still standing by the ditch. Come on, child, get into bus, man, he shouted. Then he grumbled to himself, the new influences on his language mixing with the old. They ain't paying me to breed dish shit. Leave her, a tall fifth grader demanded, then held his breath, slamming the nearest windows, and then shouted again for the bus driver to leave the girl. He was leaning over the boy in front of him with the Nike backpack whose head was pressed against the grimy glass, watching the kindergartner. Please, bus driver, the children shouted in a whiny gut-wrenching, out-of-sync chorus. Let's go, let's go before we die in here. The driver sounded the horn two times, but it was as if the little girl at the edge of the ditch didn't hear it or didn't think about hearing it. He glanced at his watch. They were running late for the second time that week, and he would hear from the principal about it. He sounded the horn again and again. The small kindergartner just stood there, like the stink had somehow gotten herself frozen stuck. She wasn't moving. Reaching under his seat, the driver had grabbed an old red rag, tied it into a bandana so that it covered his nose and mouth, and sort of slid down the bus steps, prying himself through the jammed door, and then moving as fast as he could to the rear of the bus. In an instant that seemed to him and everyone else a much longer time, he was reaching down and had taken hold of the kindergartner's hand, but immediately he could feel the resistance in her little arm, her doe-brown eyes desperate as she gazed up at him, like hope before it dies. We can't leave her there, she said. His thick brows rose up his forehead as his own eyes went wide open at the very idea that there might be someone down there, maybe even a kid from the bus stop. He peered over the rag, down at the two grungy barrels that had been illegally dumped overnight. Leave who, child? The bus driver's muffled plea under the rag was near to panic, his eyes now squinted and widely searching where the lid on one of the rusty barrels had popped open, spilling noxious gunk he recognized as too awful for him to even imagine who could do such a thing. I don't see no one, he said, as he scoured down the ditch at the corroded drum's deadly swath to the shallow stream where the water had changed colors. He pressed the bandana to his face, his eyes blurry and still straining. They probed past the other barrel that had a crack running the length of it, leaking used motor oil and diesel, and what appeared like antifreeze from car radiators, and rancid-smelling used power steering and brake fluids. Now desperate, he continued scanning around the barrels where several torn-up tires and cracked and seeping car batteries had also been discarded into the ravine that was a little creek and supposed to be a runoff for rainwater during big storms. Oh, dis be bad, bad, he cried. Where? I can't see no one. Show me, mon. He had always tried never to curse around a child, even his own, and he didn't allow it on his school bus. And he didn't mean to now, but the kids were pounding on the windows and the smell was truly getting to him too, and he knew that if he didn't leave soon, he could wind up possibly suspended without pay, along with losing, in a very unpleasant way, his breakfast, two cups of tea and a bowl of fruit, no milk, no meat, no fish too big. Little one, the bus driver begged, not hardly being able to catch his breath without feeling the urge to puke eyes red-veined and narrowed, still scanning over the frayed bandana down into the ditch. I don't see who in the Lord's name you're looking at. Then the kindergarten with the long, dark, and sun-streaked auburn hair hanging past her shoulders, falling down her back, pointed, her stare fixed beyond the tip of her forefinger to a spot on the cracked drum just above the grimy liquid surface. And in that pool of oil chemicals and colored smelly slime, the driver did finally catch sight of a tiny body. Shaking his head slow, he stared and gasped at what appeared like something holy in a most unholy sight. Ah, ain't that too unreal, he said soft and low in his exhaled breath, 
humbled at what he was seeing and puzzled at his own feelings that for an instant had distracted him from the smell. A green tree frog that could sit in the palm of your hand was lying lifeless on the side of the cracked drum, illuminated in a suddenly appearing single beam of morning sunlight shifting through a jungle-like myriad of trees. You make that light happen, child. Dat some Indian magic, you do? She looked up at him and blinked, like the eyes of a doll closing and opening, and he felt embarrassed for asking. Listen, sweet child, he said, trying to clear his mind, gasping and doing his best to sound caring. Any spark of hope that showed when she looked up at him again was disappearing along with the last lingering stars of the morning. Ain't nothing gonna bring God's little creature back, he said. It's dead. It got stuck trying to hop itself out of that. And he couldn't think of a word that wasn't swearing to describe what he was seeing and smelling in that ditch. We don't know why somebody done that. Oh, man, I'm so sick of this. Now come on, sweet child, it ain't good with breeding this shit. But we can't just leave her, she said again, her voice cracked.